Hi, we here at Grace Life would love to help you discover Jesus' unconditional love and grace for you. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you and further establish you in the truth of God's Word. But this morning I want to share on the true nature of God, the topic of the true nature of God. And you might be thinking, okay, Stefan, give us something that we can um, speak about faith, speak about this, speak about that, something that we can apply right now in our lives. And why are you wanting to speak about the true nature of God? Uh, but Galatians 5 verse 6 says, faith works by love. The Amplified says, faith is energized and activated by love. So in other words, if there's not a love relationship, faith will not be activated. And even though we are called to make disciples to the end of the world, even though God is calling us to do great things for Him, Daniel 11.32 says, uh, those who know their God will be strong and do great exploits. God has planned great exploits for you. You might be in the marketplace. You might be in ministry, whatever you're in. There's not a great person of God and a lesser person of God. There's just more surrendered people. Um, to God. But God has called you. He's got a destiny and a purpose for you. So in other words, if you know your God, if you know His love, if you're in a relationship with Him, if you know His true nature, then all these other things will flow. So I'm also almost going to the root and not just giving you a fruit. I'm almost going to the root saying, if you don't know your God, there will be no trust. Maybe I can ask you if a stranger came in and he said, I want to be your best friend. Will you trust me? Will you give me your wallet if a stranger were asking you these things? Would you do that? There's no ways. Now God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. His purpose for coming to the earth as Jesus was to reconcile us back to Himself, right? So His whole purpose is friendship. His whole purpose is relationship. He died on the cross. He got rid of sin. But what was the purpose behind it? Relationship. He didn't just come to settle a debt that Adam had and like, shame, I need to help these people. Yes, he had to deal with sin, but the real purpose was relationship with God. So if friendship is his heart, then, and he's asking you to be his friend, to trust him, to surrender to, to, to him, but if you see him as a stranger, you wouldn't do that, just like you won't do it to a normal stranger that walks in here. So many times... I tried to surrender to God. I tried to do great things for God, but I didn't trust Him and I didn't know His heart. So today we want to look at God's true nature, God's heart. I've done a bit of hunting in, in my earlier years and when you're tracking a lion or an elephant or something like that, there's some odds involved, especially if, you, if the animals might be in farming areas where they are not welcome, so they are also aware that there are people that aren't happy with them being there. But if you were working with a buddy, you want to know that that guy will be with you through everything. If that elephant charges, you need a bit of grain to stop it. If you one rifle alone and a big elephant charges you, there's probably a good chance you won't be able to stop it. But if you've got enough backing, you are able to stop that or a charging line or whatever it might be. So when you're in the field or when you're a soldier on the, uh, in the army, I, I haven't been there, but you need to know that this guy is trustworthy. Otherwise, you'd rather go alone. 
And this is the same thing with God. He's calling us to those great exploits, but is He trustworthy? Can we trust Him? Is He good? That is the question, and that's what we're going to deal with today. Have you ever heard the statement at a funeral before that God needed this person in heaven? I think all of us have probably heard that somewhere. God took this person. He needed him in heaven. Have you heard somebody say, God has given you this sickness to teach you a lesson? I've heard it before many times. Have you heard that God is judging this country or this nation or this city because of the wickedness in it? Those are normal statements in many believers' lives that they believe, but that's not true, to be honest. God is not in the killing business. He's not bringing sickness to us, and His wrath is not on us in this new covenant. But if, you are, if you've got the slightest idea that those things are true, if you think those things about God, if you have believed that lie that Satan has basically sown seed in our hearts, faith will not be stirred in that environment. You will not see miracles in your life if that is your thinking about God. Can we go to John, John chapter 10, verse 10? So let's go to the Word, not to what people are saying, not what the doctors are saying, but let's go to the Word and see what God is like. And we'll start off in John chapter 10, verse 10. Many of you might know the verse, but it says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So Jesus is speaking here. He's saying the thief, which is Satan, is the devil. He comes not except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So Jesus is making a very simple statement here. And to be honest, if we would just believe what the Word is saying and not what the general public is saying, our lives would be so much simpler. Saying that Satan comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Is there any destruction in your life? Where is that from? From Satan. Is there any abundant life in your life? From where is that? From God. That is simple theology. God is good, the devil is bad. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God came to give us life and life in abundance. That is who he is. That is his nature. If we go to James chapter 1, verse 13 to 17. James chapter 1, from verse 13 to 17. It says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Then he says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and every perfect gift comes from above, or is from above, and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variation nor shadow of turning. I want you to focus here on the verse 13, the first part that says, God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. It is basically saying God doesn't have evil in him. He can't be tempted with evil, but he doesn't put evil on anyone. This is so simple and clear. The word of God is saying God will not tempt you with evil. He is not the one bringing evil and destruction into your life. It goes on and verse 16 says, do not be deceived. It's interesting that James says, do not be deceived. Because he knew how important this is and that Satan will try to deceive us. So he's saying, do not be deceived. And then he says this well-known but beautiful verse. says, every good and every perfect gift. 
Did he say every bit of sickness and every bit of destruction is from above? No, he says every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Then he says, with whom is no variation nor shadow of turning. He is not this way the one day blessing you and the next day is cursing you. He is always good, he's always been good. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, it says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you. So John is writing, I've been with him, this is the message I've heard from him, and this I declare to you. This is, this is important that you hear this. And then he says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Guys, we need to put the word of God above our experiences, above what you have heard from other people. Well-meaning people. Why do people say, well, it's probably God is teaching you something when you're sick? They're trying to make sense of a difficult situation. They're well-meaning people, but it's not the Word of God. Well-meaning people don't go to heaven. Believers go to heaven. Well-meaning people don't have breakthroughs in their lives. It's people that stand on the Word of God and by faith receive those breakthroughs. But people are grieving and I'm not being insensitive. I hope I'm not sounding insensitive. Because I'm sure each one of us have gone and will go and is maybe right now going through something tough where you are struggling with the Lord. Why, why, why? And I know it might be a tough word in a sense saying it was not God, it was the devil or sin or something else that we'll get into, but it's not God. So even though it might be a tough word, it's a freeing word. When you know, man, God is not my problem. I can trust this person. Let's go to James chapter 4 verse 7. James chapter 4 verse 7. Again, you might be asking, Stephen, I'm starting to see why this is important, but give me another reason. James chapter 4 verse 7. It says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to God, submit to his authority, submit to his leadership, submit to who he is, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Who is doing the resisting in this verse? Us as believers. Remember, Jesus said, I'm going back to heaven. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. You will be filled with power when He arrives. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So go you now into all the world and make disciples. So He's saying, I'm going, but I'm giving you the Spirit. But I'm, I'm a God of love, so I give choice. I don't force you. So it's your choice to make use of this. So He's saying, I've given you the authority. He's saying, you resist the devil. So what happens when you think God is causing sickness in your life? Will you resist the God of heaven and earth? Of course not. If you think God is doing these things in your life, you will not resist it. So if we do not see that God is good, if we're confused about God's nature, it will make you passive as a Christian. In other words, you will accept things in your life which is not from God. But if you think it's from God, you'll just say, well, this is my cross to carry. The only cross to carry is surrendering to God. That is what it means. To saying, Lord, my life is not mine anymore. I'm giving it over to you. But life starts when you die, to be honest. And that's another topic. But God wants us to live from desire. He wants, to live, he wants us to live this new life. But that's besides the topic. But you'll become passive and not resist the devil if you think something is from God. So that is why this topic is important. When you know that God is for you and, God, and, and there's some sickness coming in your life, there's some things coming against the Word of God, against these promises, you can say, in Jesus' name, Satan, I rebuke you, get out of my life. Lord, where am I sowing the wrong seed as well? Because sometimes it's not Satan, it's just our flesh. 
If I keep on stealing, I will probably end up in jail. Praise God, I'm not stealing. But the, the picture is sometimes there's something to change ourselves. It's not just the devil. But it's good to realize God is not my problem. Let me wake up and I start to res resist either the devil or my own flesh. But God is not our problem. And as I was preparing and just this morning during worship, I just felt like God is so excited. Imagine a dad that wants relationship with his kids, but his kids has run away. Not he was always pursuing, and I, I could share by time. I can't go into all of this. But imagine a dad that loves his kids so much, but they turned away from him, and because they were away from him, they couldn't see his face clearly. They couldn't see his nature clearly. They couldn't understand him clearly. That's what happened with Adam and Eve. They got separated from God. They turned away from God. God still loved them. They died spiritually. I'll get later into that. And they couldn't understand God spirit to spirit. So they had this wrong picture. Religion has this wrong picture of God being angry at us. But imagine a God that is truly good. Just good. There's no, no darkness in Him. He doesn't tempt any man with evil. Every good and every perfect gift comes from Him. He so loved the world that He gave His only Son to die for your sins on a cross forever. For me, forever He settled His love for me. But because we have these wrong pictures, but imagine this Father wanting to say to you, I want to reveal to you who I am. I don't want you to believe a lie about me. I just felt like God is so excited that... that we are portraying Him for who He truly is today, or through the Word at least. If we stick to the Word, then we can see who God truly is. But I felt like a, the, the Father is, is wanting to come and heal hearts. Areas in our hearts where we've allowed the wrong pictures to form. I really believe God wants to reveal Himself to us. Amen. Alright. So... We read all of this, but now I want to look at, you might still have thoughts in your mind about, Stefan, I can remember that God put leprosy on Miriam in the Old Testament. God judged Israel. There was a lot of killing. There was a lot of stuff happening there. Israel was under judgment. What about the Old Testament? And one of the main reasons that religion has misrepresented God, that I, when I grew up, misunderstood God, is the Old Testament and I didn't understand it. So it's not the Old Testament's fault. It's my misunderstanding and wrong teaching about the Old Testament, not seeing where it's fitting in. So my purpose just for the next little while will just be explaining the Old Testament. Where does it fit in? What was its purpose? And why was there judgment and certain things? But God's heart has never changed. Because uh, in Hebrews 13 verse 8 it says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. So God has never changed. God cannot change even if He wanted to. He cannot change. He is God. He's always the same. But many people think there's a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. They think Jesus is the school guy but God the Father is this bad guy. They are never sure like can I approach God? Will He be angry? Why? Because of the Old Testament. But if it says Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever, who are you going to believe? I'm going to go with the Word. Hebrews 13 verse 8. I'm going to stand on that. Jesus is the same. God is the same. And Jesus and God is one, right? So they represent each other perfectly. So I'm going to say, even though I think God has changed when I read the Old Testament and then I read the New Testament, I'm not going to allow my thinking to be above God's Word. 
And to be honest, I think Etienne has shared it a lot. If you're not willing to have the Word of God confront you, we can't help you. If you're not willing to change, if you're not willing the word repent means change your mind. doesn't mean confess, confess, confess. There's a place for that. But there, it doesn't mean confess your sins. It means change your mind, change your thinking. If you're not willing to do that, there won't be much help. But I want to invite us for you to say, Lord, if I've seen something wrong, will you please reveal to me I'm willing to listen to your word. Amen. So what was the purpose of the law? Why did God give the law? First thing is, if we go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, please. Genesis chapter 2, we are in the Garden of Eden now, straight in the beginning. God had relationship with Adam and Eve. Um, everything was good. You can even see God's nature there. After every day that He created the world, it said it was good. It didn't say there was a bit of destruction and quite a bit of good. Now it was all good, and by the end of the sixth day, he said, it's very good. And guys, God is good. Then he puts them in the Garden of Eden, and he says, they must not eat of this one tree. Verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. So God is saying there's one, one thing. I'm a God of love. 1 John 4 verse 8 says, God is love. God gives a choice or love gives a choice. If I force you to, do, to be my friend, that's not love. That's not friendship. So God gave them a choice. He placed two trees in the garden. He said, don't eat of that one. He always actually gives us the answer. He's so good. He says, don't eat of that one. You will die. You will be spiritually dead. You will be separated from me. Don't eat of that one. Don't go your own way. Eat from the tree of life, basically. But what happened? They ate of the tree, and it says, in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. Did they die the same day? No. If you look a bit further on, Adam lived until he was 930-something years. So they didn't die spiritually. So what died? God said, in the day that you eat of it, in that specific day, you will die. God is not a man that he should lie. Come on. The Word of God is true. So even though I don't understand it, I must think a bit more so that I can get understanding. I must ask the Holy Spirit what's going on here. And in other words, something else died. We are spirit, soul, and body. So their bodies were still living for 950 years, but their spirits died. They became disconnected from God. So why am I saying this? One of the reasons why God had to bring the law is because man was spiritually dead. He could not understand spiritual things. Even though God's heart was to have relationship with him, God still pursued him. God still spoke to Abraham. God still wanted a love relationship. But man did not have spiritual understanding anymore until you got born again. Praise God. But why did uh, one of the reasons why God brought the law? It's because we couldn't understand spiritual things. So he had to put a physical law in place. A child does not understand when you tell him, don't do this, you are sowing to the flesh. But he understands when you eat that flesh. He understands that very clearly a physical thing. He's not spiritually alive yet. He hasn't been born again yet. Right? So a physical rule can work well until that child is born again. And now he can start to understand spiritual things. It's the same thing in the Old Testament. This is one of the reasons that God gave the law. Because there wasn't spiritual understanding. 
Second reason. Let's go to Romans 3 verse 20. Romans chapter 3 verse 20 says, Therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Very simple. I would say this is the first purpose, but it's in my sermon now, the second purpose. The law shows what sin is. By the law, there's a knowledge of sin. I'm going to go through a few more scriptures and then almost explain on that. Romans 7 verse 7 says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. So we're not putting the law down. We're just putting our misunderstanding of the law down. The law is pure and holy and righteous and good. Amen? But he's saying, is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. So let's say the second purpose of the law is literally showing people how dangerous sin is. Showing people what sin is. Showing people that they are stuck in sin. Showing people what the perfect standard of God is. Because one of the problems that the Israelites had... And man in general, they compare themselves among themselves. So they were like, well, I am more holy than Henku. So in other words, I'm fine. God will judge him, but at least I will be a better person. I'll get a better place in heaven. Which is a, a dumb way of thinking of it. But that is what most of us do. There's a comparison thing. And God had to bring a perfect standard to show, hey guys, I don't like sin, but there is a Savior coming. But while you are boasting in yourself, while you are prideful in yourself, while you think you are better than another nation or another person, I need to put a perfect standard in place. I have to bring a knowledge of sin because you think it's fine to kill people. After Cain killed the first person, God loved on him, literally. God protected him. He, was, he, he did go out from God's presence, but he said he left God's presence. But God still loved Cain, still protected Cain. So what people did is they misunderstood this. They thought, oh, God is fine with sin. And God had to say, hey, I'm forgiving, I'm a loving God, but I'm not fine with sin. You are destroying yourselves. You are actually destroying the human race to such an extent that they will not be a virgin through which Jesus can be born. So what did he do? He said, Israel, come apart. I will set you apart. I will make you a nation unto myself. And I will give you this law. And this law will say, this is my standard. And can you see you are not good enough? And this is what sin is. So the first one is we were spiritually dead. And God had to give a physical law. The second thing is he had to show us what sin is. We started comparing ourselves amongst ourselves. So he had to show us that, hey, this is sin. The third thing is he had to point us to Jesus. Galatians chapter 3 from verse 24 to 25. Galatians chapter 3 from verse 24 to 25 says, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So basically the law pointed us that this is sin and secondly it pointed us this is your saviour. The purpose of the law was not to be kept. Many people think the law is there in order for you to do A, B, C, and D and become perfect. No, on, contrary, on the contrary, it's like a mirror. It can show you what's wrong with you, but can the mirror fix your hair? Can the mirror fix your heart? But it can show you what's wrong. That is what the law is. It showed us what is wrong, but then it showed us you need a savior. 
Because people thought we are fine. People thought they didn't need a Savior. So that is why God put the law in place. We couldn't understand things spiritually. He had to put a physical law in place. He had to show us what is sin because we are comparing ourselves amongst ourselves. And He had to point us to, you need a Savior. You can't do this independently. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil that Adam and Eve ate from is basically a tree of independence. He's saying, I will do it my way. That's basically what it is. And there had to be a change of mind saying, I'm a sinner and I need Christ. That's part of the gospel. The gospel is saying, I could not do it in my own strength, but praise God, there's a Savior. And if I look to Him, not to myself, then I will be saved. Amen. Alrighty. Let's go to Romans 5, verse 13 to 14. Thank you, Jesus, for time. Amen. Romans chapter 5, verse 13 to 14. It says, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Why am I bringing this out? I'm trying to show us that the time from Adam to Moses, God did not impute sin to us. God did not write our sin to our account. Right? But from Moses, there was a law in place. And once there's a law in place, there's something written to your account. So from Moses to Jesus, sin was imputed. And in other words, sin was judged. So yes, there was a time when God judged sin. There was a time when Miriam was speaking against Aaron and God put leprosy on her. Why? Because there was a judgment of sin. Israel turned away from God and there was a judgment of sin. They, they spent 40 years in the wilderness because they rebelled against God. They disobeyed God. But we need to understand they were in a different covenant. God did not change. God was graceful. God was loving and God was kind. But they said yes to this covenant. You must please remember this. God made them an offer and they said yes. He said, this is my covenant that I want with you. Are you willing? They said yes. They actually said, Moses, tell God we say yes and we don't want to speak to God. You speak to God. They actually rejected relationship and said, we will just speak with you. But tell that God we are fine. We will do it. They were actually prideful like we're going to do the law quick and easy. But they failed and they failed. But God judged sin because that there was a law in place. But it says Jesus came to fulfill the law. It says Jesus took our sins upon Him. God's wrath was poured out on Jesus. Isaiah 53 verse 12, I believe, says that God was satisfied when He saw the travail of Jesus' soul. Each and every bit of your sin was poured out on Jesus. And then Isaiah 54, the next chapter says, This covenant of peace I will not remove from you, neither will I be angry with you again. So he's saying that law is fulfilled, that time is fulfilled from Moses to Jesus. It's fulfilled, it's done. Jesus paid for your sin and God's wrath is not on us anymore. God's, God has been loved from Adam to Moses, from Moses to Jesus. God has been loved, but there was a covenant in place. And God is holy and righteous and pure, so there had to be a judgment of sin, but it was from a place of love. And now we're in a, in a generation or a time of love as well after Jesus. But we're not being judged for our sin because Jesus took all that sin upon Him. He took all of God's wrath upon Himself. 
Does that help to sort of explain the purpose of the law and also that there was judgment under the law because Romans 5 says, um, sin is not imputed where there is no law. But obviously where there is law, there was, sin was imputed to their account and God had to deal with them. But they had a choice and they said, yes, God, we are ready for this. Amen. Awesome stuff. All right, so you might be asking, well, okay, I see that God was actually merciful in the Old Testament, but can't you show me a clear picture of what God is like? I am glad you asked the question like Etienne would say. <laughs> there is a clear picture, and if we go to Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to see a beautiful, beautiful, clear picture of God. Amen. Hebrews chapter 1, from verse 1, says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophet. So he's saying long ago, in that time he spoke to the, prof to the fathers through the prophets. But now it says, Has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds. And then he explains, Jesus, obviously the Son of God, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of of his person and we'll stop there but it's saying who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person jesus is the brightness of god's glory jesus is the express image of god's person do you want to see what god is like look at jesus jesus is the perfect picture of god we don't have to walk about in a sense, blind to what is God like. God is not a mystery anymore. God has revealed Himself. In the Old Testament, we were not born again, or the people there were not born again. They couldn't understand God spiritually. But now we've been born again. Our eyes have been opened. We can see God for who He truly is. And He's actually manifested Himself in the flesh as Jesus Christ. And if you see Jesus, you see God. Can I ask you, did Jesus make anyone sick? Did Jesus kill anyone? What did he do? He raised Lazarus from the dead. He healed each and every person that came to him. He did good. Why do you think Jesus is stealing from you? Why do you think God is the problem? Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father. What Jesus did in the Gospels, he's doing to us. And he is just good. This is so, so exciting. If we go to John chapter 14, verse 7 to 10, maybe you're still struggling like, okay, I like Jesus, but this Father, uh-uh. I don't know about God the Father. Let's see, John chapter 14, verse 7 to 10. It says, if you had known me, he's speaking to his disciples and especially to Philip, he says, Jesus says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, and the words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but, what the, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. So if you see a work... Of Jesus, it was the work that the Father did. If you see Jesus saying something, or if you hear Jesus saying something, it's the Father speaking through him. He's saying, have I been with you so long? And do you not know me? Do you not know the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
The Father and the Son is one. If we go to Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Acts chapter 10, verse 38 says, But how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. It says, God anointed Jesus, who went about doing evil, doing good and doing and healing. Guys, there's so many scriptures and we can just bring it out, but this is what God wants to do. He wants to do good and He wants to heal. And it says we were oppressed by the devil. I think in um, 1 John it says, Jesus was manifest for this purpose to destroy the works of Satan. Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan so that we do not have to live under his bondage. But again he said, you have authority and you resist the devil. So it's now your choice what you're going to do with this revelation or with this word that we are sharing. Because you are the one that needs to resist. Thank you, Lord. Let's go to Job chapter 1, verse 21. Job chapter 1, verse 21. It says, I don't know if some of you know Job's story. It's an interesting book in the Bible. We don't have time to go into it. But can I just say, Job is the oldest uh, book in the Bible. Um, it was way before any covenant. Uh, so it was not under the new covenant. There are things that we might not fully understand from the book of Job, but please don't make the book of Job your theology for New Testament Christianity. Job lived under a different covenant on a different time. And you know the story. Satan came. He said, I want to um, uh, basically test Job or whatever. And God said, you must just not take his life. But in that time, there was not a covenant, so God couldn't protect him. Right? God can protect us now. We've got a covenant with him. But back then, Job didn't have a covenant, so God couldn't protect him. Remember, we gave authority to Satan uh, when Adam and Eve sinned. So we gave authority to Satan. So Satan had access to the world. It says uh, Satan is actually the God of this world. The heaven is the Lord's. So when we surrendered the authority that God gave to us in the beginning, during Adam and Eve's time, when we surrendered it to him, we gave him access. And he's basically saying in Job, I'm going to take everything away from Job, and God says, but you are not allowed to touch his life. So Satan goes and basically destroys everything that, that Job has. And again, I can say, all of the word of God is inspired, so it, it's there. This is really difficult for me to explain. Thank you, Jesus. So this is all recorded. This is the Word of God. But there are some statements in the Word of God that's not true. But it's recorded because when there's a conversation, maybe a king says something. Herod at some stage, he blasphemed God in a sense. Or he said, I'm a God. Is that true? No, but it's explaining the story of what Herod did. Now Job is also speaking some stuff here. But it doesn't mean Jesus said it, it says Job said it and it's recorded in the Bible so that we can see the full story of history of how God is pursuing us and loving us, right? So Job chapter 1 verse 21, after all these things were destroyed, his kids died, his livestock died, everything was destroyed. And he's sitting there and he's getting boils on his arms and he's getting sick and stuff. But this is what he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And because it's in the Bible, many people say, Oh, the Lord has taken away. 
But they don't understand it's Job speaking. It's just recorded in the Bible. It's under uh, no covenant at all. And they will take it and say to a New Testament believer, Yeah, sorry man, all these things are happening. The Lord is just taking away a bit. He's just testing you. God does not test us with evil, neither can He be test, uh, neither can He be tempted with evil, like we read. So why do we say those things? Why do we say God is testing you? Let's go to Job 42, verse 5 to 6. It says, so this is the end, this is the last chapter of Job. He had now long conversed with a lot of friends and they gave their input. And everyone is a bit, con or most, most of them were quite confused about what is happening. But in Job 41, 42, God reveals himself to Job. God comes in this whirlwind and he reveals himself and he speaks to Job. And suddenly for the first time, I think Job is getting a clear picture of God. Right? And this is Job's response. After seeing clearly, after hearing God's voice, he says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. I've heard from my grandma, my grandpa, the doctor. I've heard from all the religious leaders. But now, I've heard, so he's saying, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now I have personally seen. It says, but now my eye sees you. So Job is saying, man, I've heard all these things about you, but right now I see you for who you truly is. I see your nature and I see your character. Verse 6 says, Therefore I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Job is saying, I have said some stuff and I repent for that. I had some thoughts about you, God, and I repent for that. I say that God gives and God takes away, I repent for that. Because now I've clearly seen, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear. I've heard all these stories. I thought it was God that took away. I even said that, you might be saying, but God, I repent in dust and ashes. And I just feel like God is saying today there's an opportunity for us to repent, not in the sense, again, of beating ourselves up. That's not repent, but it's a willingness to change our mind and change our heart. To say, Lord, I have heard of you through many things. The news has reported and said that it's an act of God when God brought the volcano or tsunami or earthquake. And I believe that word, act of God, act of God, act of God. But Lord, now my eye has seen that you are only good. Now I've seen with my spiritual eyes from the word of God that you are good. Now I'm willing to repent. I'm willing to change my mind. Just quickly in Mark chapter 1 verse 15 it says, And saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This is Jesus and it's some of his first words. When he came on the scene, he speaks to the Israelites and he says, Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and believe in the gospel. He's saying, change your mind. You are thinking God is evil. You are thinking God is bad. Repent, change your mind. And believe in the gospel. What's the gospel? It's the good news. God is good. God is for you. God came and died for you forever. He settled his love towards you. So I just want us to close our eyes and I just want to pray for us concerning this. And I know I said a lot this morning and I just pray that almost we can just step back for a moment and realize that the thief steals, comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I came to give you life and life in abundance, Jesus said. And covenants has changed. But God's heart for us has never changed. He is a good God. 
Jesus went on that cross. He paid for all the sin. Your yeah, sin was an issue. Sin sometimes still has consequences in our lives, but it's not God causing that. It's just a consequence of our sins. It's my choice to get drunk and to make an accident. It's not God doing that. It's not God's wrath on you. We all do some stupid things and there are some consequences. But God is saying, I'm in it with you and I love you in it. And I can work it together for good, but I did not cause this. So Father, I pray right now, just there where we might have believed the wrong thing about you, a wrong perspective, a wrong perception. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you take the words that has been shared. And Father, you just bring true light. It says the word brings light. Father, I just pray for light right now in our hearts, for a healing of hearts, even where we might have lost people, where we have blamed you, where we have misunderstood you. Father, may we be reminded that you are good and you can work this together for good. You can bring healing, but you didn't cause it. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to connect with us or if you'd like us to pray with you, please contact us at info at gracelife.co. If you'd like to order more resources or discover more about us, you can visit our website at www.gracelife.co or find us on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube.